Hey folks, welcome to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision, episode 25 with my very special guest, Roz Raskin. The latest project is Nova One. This is the new record, uh, Lovable, the full-length debut by uh, Nova One on Community Records. So uh, Roz is a super talented musician in the state, and uh, I was just thrilled to have Roz on the show about this record and also about the record that we're featuring tonight, Radioheads in Rainbows. Um, as Roz mentions in the interview, Radiohead being a kind of a uh, controversial uh, band because of their discography and kind of like the mutations that they have gone through. So I was really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, now, in the age of quarantine, which we are in currently, uh, we attempted to do this conversation remotely, so that proved to be a little difficult for me. Um, uh, me being the uh, the bonehead that I am, I actually uh, did not record the first half of our conversation, uh, like the first half hour about, um, uh, through my audio device, I just did the, the video. So uh, you're going to hear a, a sound quality difference in the audio stream, okay? Um, basically, I pulled the audio off the video and spliced it into the audio. Uh, I am a little uh, proud about that and give myself a little tap on the back um, because uh, I overlap them where the that video content comes into the the better quality uh, better quality recording of the my mobile device. And um, so yeah, so like 25 minutes in, about it, it sounds a little better. Um, yeah, so I was just really nervous about doing this because uh, the remote sense and then uh, my my production assistant, Corey, uh, was not coming with me to um, to help me here. So it was kind of a one-man show all over again, and it, uh, it's a little difficult. But I uh, did my best to save it for you all, and I hope that you all enjoy it. Um, please, uh, I, I got to mention some things quickly that I kind of took in my notes here. Um, so for people watching the video, uh, the video, the audio quality is not that great kind of got to turn it up a little bit and I'm sorry about that but also kind of off the cuff stuff couldn't really help my, help myself um, it is what it is and I did my best with it that I could um, cut out a lot of the music from the first from the video because I can't use it anyway so you might experience some kind of like jumping around it might be, seem a little choppy to you and I'm sorry about that too but continuity's sake didn't really want to keep any of this conversation that you couldn't really hear and also I couldn't use the music so kind of had to go um, and then uh, the audio uh, near the end of our conversation oh, we, we just kind of touch on I, I asked uh, Roz if, the, um, if they were related to Joyce Raskin uh, Joyce is the uh, bassist from the band Scarce that's why I mentioned and that's why I asked I was just curious um, so for those of you who don't know who Joyce Raskin is and what we were talking about, that's the band Scarce. Go look them up because they're great and you should listen to them too. If you're watching the video, um, I've also included some live footage of Nova One performing at AS220 back in November of uh, the previous year, um, playing some songs that were off of the new record. Um, I hope you like those a little bit in the beginning and then I'll also tag on a little bit at the end if you stay tuned. So thank you for watching. 
please do all the things you do with the internet. Like, share, subscribe, tell friends, all that. Rate and review, please, because if you do that, then it helps uh, the podcast get some more exposure, and uh, that would be much appreciated. I thank you very much. Enjoy our show. So, so hi, it's nice to see you out there in the virtual world. Thanks for coming and doing this with me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so uh, so we were just talking about Radiohead, and uh, so the album you chose tonight was Radiohead uh, in Rainbows. So why did you choose that record? So or what I made you want to choose the record? I guess I should say. Well, so your so your podcast is the the uh, the prompt I guess you would say that you sent over was mm-hmm. to you know speak to a specific record, and I chose this record because I feel like Radiohead is a band for me like so many musicians that was like a fundamental part of me understanding music in a new way. Yeah. As a as a musician, so uh, it, I would say in the past few years, I haven't listened to their music as extensively as I used to. I used to be like a big Radiohead head mm-hmm. you know, term for people that are super into Radiohead. Yeah, I don't know if they have a, a name. You know, like uh, what do they call the the Jimmy Buffett heads the or the Margaritaville the. <laughs> Parrotheads, right? Parrot heads, yes, that's it. Yes, yeah, so so when your band name word has head in it, mm. radio head, head, radio head, head. That sounds about right. Sure, <laughs> we'll go, we'll go with that. Yeah, so I um I listened to them a lot in my teens and early twenties, and yeah. so this record came out right when I was in my freshman year of college in '07. Oh, okay. When I graduated from high school, so it was a, such a huge deal to me and I think was a, such a large part of the way that I was thinking about composition mm-hmm. and arrangements and sound in general. Yeah. So even though it hasn't been something, I mean, I would say I definitely listened to it, you know, throughout the year, um, not nearly as much as I used to, but uh, the, the album just means a lot to me and I think it is just banger after banger. Yeah, I think that the uh, critics would definitely agree. I was a little skeptical because I actually just had this conversation with my sister-in-law recently where we were talking about Radiohead because I had a copy of OK Computer. And that was the one that kind of hit me because I'm a little older than you. So I think it was 95 OK Computer came out around then. And uh, so I was like 15 and it was like the first thing of its kind, really. Like the first thing that I ever heard that I was just like, wow, this is like a like a game changer for the music sync, you know? Cause then after that it was uh, Kid A, right? Kid A came after that and I loved that one too. So then like uh, Amnesia came out and I wasn't crazy about it. I kind of felt like it was the leftovers of Kid A. And then uh, Hail to the Thief came out. I think that was 2003. I had actually moved to New Orleans when that came out and I wasn't impressed at all. I think I listened to it once and I was just like, okay, I'm done with this band. Like. I wasn't liking the progression where they were moving to, you know, like all of this like digital or like electronic sound. Um, so then when in Radiohead, uh, in Rainbows came out, I was kind of looking forward to it, just trying to see like, okay, so where are they going to go? And I don't think I gave it a fair shot. You know, I mean, so you, did you start off with in Rainbows or like, where did you start in the catalog? So 
I appreciate you giving uh, that information about your Radiohead history because <laughs> I feel like they're such a controversial band within Radiohead fandom. Yeah. Um, there's like certain you know albums that people get really pissed off by, or you know, or they mm. come back to later and are like, "Well, that was really great," or "Oh man, I hate that now." Or and and it's funny because also I feel like Tom York has been you know obviously is one of the more well-known members of the band who has also been very vocal about songs he like no longer likes yeah like fringes to hear which i feel like as a musician you know just in general i identify with that Mm. (laughs) yeah so i appreciate hearing uh him say that you know um but uh so i started off with okay computer 2 but I started off with OK Computer, I guess, almost 10 years after you did, so mm-hmm. and after the release. So I heard I heard Radiohead for the first time, like really heard Radiohead for the first time uh, in 05, mm-hmm. I think, or okay. 06. Um, someone who I was playing in a band with was like, you know, have you heard Radiohead? Do you know who this band is? And... I said, you know, they're a band that I've heard of, but I hadn't really, like, dug in super hard. Um, and so he said, you got to listen to this album, OK Computer. I think it's a really good starting place for, like, where they're moving towards now as a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you'd really appreciate it. And so I, my mind was blown. Yeah. Just completely shattered in the best <laughs> way possible. And... Yeah, I had just never heard anything like it before, and I still think that music's in some ways catching up with some of the sounds that they were working with mm. in that album. And then I, you know, slowly moved out from there to other things. So yeah, Kid A, I really love as well. Um, and then actually, when In Rainbows came out, I was trying to think today about when the album came out and when I saw them. And for some reason, I thought it was the same period of time, but I actually, mm. I saw them, the only time I've seen them was on uh, the King of Limbs tour, okay. which was in 2011. And, uh, but when In Rainbows came out, I, I didn't really like it that much. I just, I, like, I thought it was pretty good, but I didn't feel super engaged by it. Mm. And it wasn't really until, like, three or four years later that I loved it yeah yeah sometimes i think it takes a little while to get to kind of get into the record which is why i said i didn't give in rainbows a fair shot i don't think because i think i listened to it like maybe once um one of the interesting uh facts about that record was that uh, i don't know if you realize this but uh, in 2007 when it came out it was actually one of the very first major uh, pay what you can releases digitally oh yeah so you remember that Oh yeah, it was huge because you know I was I I've been playing out in bands since high school, and so the idea you know like Napster had happened and all that sorts of stuff, but the idea of a release happening in that way was also really controversial, you right. know, at the time. And I was um, yeah, it was it was such a game changer um, for the for the music industry. I think in good and bad ways right. at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah, because um, I was kind of, I, I realized I'm starting to do that every time I speak to somebody and say, okay, give me a record that you, you know, that you love or that influenced you or something like that. And then I start to listen to both their music and that record. 
and I'm starting to see where the connection is, or like kind of see like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense now put into this context. I mean, like I may have mentioned Radiohead uh, as an influence to you by listening to your music and what I know of your music, but I didn't hear it until I listened to the, I didn't hear it like clearly until I heard the rice cakes. Because uh, I went into your back catalog and it's just like, yeah, most of, a good portion of those recordings are like a really kind of like proggy, almost psyched out rock music, you know? And I think that Radiohead really speaks to that more so than what you're doing now as Nova One. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and me and, uh, and Justin Foster, who um, was the bass player in Roz and the Rice Cakes, he was also a huge Radiohead fan. So he mm-hmm. had seen them a few times and... Um, that was something that he and I got down on sonically really hard. And Casey, our drummer, liked them a lot, but he wasn't like as much into the kind of like absurdity Radiohead fan zone yeah. that I keep kind of touching on, like you know where you just listen to the records over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. trying like grab at different things. Um, but yeah, so I um, I appreciate you looking back into into some of the some of the older music. You can definitely hear more of that influence although i mean i suppose that you know it exists in different ways in my music now oh yeah manifest but i would say that there's for sure like a more direct correlation right is there something else that do you think is uh like informing nova one's music more so right now than than like what was happening with the rice cakes and radiohead uh i think that nova one a lot of what came came, I, I think, to me before Noble One started in terms of just like where my headspace was at, mm-hmm. uh, is that I really wanted a place to put my pop songs. I really wanted a place to put that music, but also give it, uh, give it sort of this raw quality and have it be um, also a place for me to put the most honest, straightforward lyrics. Mm. Uh, that I had, yeah. that was true to who I was as a person, and that needed to be in a separate place than the way that uh, Rosna Rice Cakes existed. Because that definitely was, you know, obviously still, I mean, it, it was my primary place to put my writing for many years. Right. Uh, and, but then it felt like there were some, like, really heavy interpersonal things that were happening, like, towards the end of making the last Rice Cakes record. Um, that needed to go to a different place. So that's how Nova One hmm. started, was during the making of that last Rice Cakes record, Devotion, uh, there was, yeah, this other pocket of songs that was coming to life, and so I gave them a new name and a new place, and hmm. they're all my arrangements and, uh, yeah, my vision. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I think that... Um, yeah, and, you know, it's, I mean, I think when I was listening back to In Rainbows the past few days, just to bring it back to Radiohead again, mm-hmm. uh, it really is incredible that these are, these are, um, to me, they are pop records. Yeah. And they're just extremely experimental, but, like, there are so many beautiful hooks mm-hmm. that get stuck in your head, and I think that they just took a lot of what was like pop structure yeah. and messed it around. You yeah. Know? yeah. So that uh, to me, it still feels like, yeah, like a different version of pop music. So in that way, I feel like 
there are bits and pieces of that in Nova One. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, like, like I said, I didn't hear it as clearly, but I think that's you can definitely hear it. I mean, like, even your guitar tone is pretty good. Like, so your first EP, uh, Secret Princess, is got like a really heavily reverbed tone to it, which um, kind of reminds me of uh, the Walkman. Do you listen to them at all? Yes. Oh, actually, you know what? Somebody, um, I just just listened to one of their records um, with a buddy of mine. Oh yeah. Do you know which one it's by like any chance? Early, early two thousands, right? Uh, yeah, some of it, like some of the earlier records of theirs, which are pretty good. Bows and Arrows was their second, I think. Okay. That one, that was a pretty good one. But either way, the guitarist has just got this really kind of reverby tone to it. He's just, it's just got this huge sound to it, and so I kind of hear that a little bit with the first EP. The second one now, your your newest release, the full length Lovable, um, the tone's a little different. I feel like it's a little more chorusy. Is that correct, or am I wrong? Um, there's some chorus in there. Uh, a lot of the um, gosh, now I'm gonna have a brain fart. There's there's uh, there's sort of like a warble through a lot of it, like some extra mm -hmm. sort of movement with the actual like frequency of the sound that I think makes a difference so like a lot of the riffs yeah. are, are, are put through um, pedals that bring about that effect mm. that feels like a little bit less um, I know the sound to me feels less linear first mm -hmm. thing um, but there's still a lot of reverb there there's definitely some chorus uh, and I'm going to remember the name of the other pedal at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but the guitar tone definitely has changed. And actually a big reason why that changed is because of the production on the record. So mm -hmm. I, I co-produced it with Brad Krieger and James Parker from Big Night Studio. So mm -hmm. they w had a big hand in uh, the tones that yeah. were used. Cool. So do you have a vinyl copy of this record? You know, I actually, um, I actually don't, um, but I, my, my ex-partner did, so I've listened to it, I've listened to it on vinyl before. Mm -hmm. sure. What do you, what do you think? Do you like it better on vinyl? Are, are you a vinyl enthusiast for, you know? Yeah, I would say, I would say that I am. I'm not like an avid vinyl collector, um, but I definitely appreciate the sound of a vinyl record really compared to anything else although um you know i'm getting more and more into headphones like really good headphones oh yeah um so um but yeah i mean there's there's nothing like that warmth you know yeah so i feel like the song i, I mean i feel like this record in general mm -hmm. has has a lot to do with analyzing the human experience and there's like been some quotes from tom york sort of about grappling with uh, the feeling of uh, understanding that there will be a point in time that you will die, mm. and there's and like sort of intense intense emotions and themes like that throughout right. the record. Um, I also wanted to side note that the song is in five four, which is dope and is a wild way to start a record. <laughs> okay, I did not know that. I am not uh, a good technical musician. But what's so cool about it is they make five feel as natural as four. Mm -hmm. Because four is, you know, you can clap one, 
two, you know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? right? And they have that extra beat in there that, you know, to anyone that's deep into theory and stuff like that in the way that I am, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, dude, cool. <laughs> yeah. Did you pick up on that immediately, like when you heard it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you are actually, uh, you, you are kind of like uh, teaching as well. You're giving lessons as uh, for music for piano and guitar? Yeah, yeah. So I um, I don't teach guitar anymore. I do teach piano and um, songwriting and like the practice of singing and playing. Um, mm. But I, uh, but I'm, I'm a classically trained pianist. So I, you know, I grew up playing in jazz bands all through middle school and high school. So I, mm. uh, you know, time sig, weird time signatures and. Um, things like that are right up my alley and I can pick up on them pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, so that in particular as like a music theory centered person, um, yeah, hearing that initially was like, okay, even though I'm not like sure how I feel about this record, that is cool. <laughs> cool. Huh, so you probably have a, a a whole different respect for Radiohead than I do because like I I like know like what they're doing is kind of like wild and kind of complicated and unique, but if you understand it, then yeah, that's that's another level from me. So. Yeah. Well. Well. I mean, it, you know, but there's but there's um. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that we all come at any given music with our own perspectives and like what what we're getting out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, at the same time as I come at it from this, like, theory-based place, to some extent, um, sometimes I sort of envy folks that don't necessarily have that type of view, because there's something else that you're getting from it, yeah. potentially, that maybe I don't get on a first listen. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I come at things where I'm like analyzing it just because so much of what I do is analyzing music. Like what I do for a living is I analyze songs in order to show people how to play them. Yeah. So sometimes I don't get that first just like this is a song. Yeah. And hearing all sorts of things maybe that I don't hear. So anyway. You're, you're not necessarily going through the emotion first. You're kind of looking at it like mathematically first. Yeah. 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 Somewhat. Okay. And then, and then, I mean, but then I'm also, I'm so hook driven. I think like a lot of people are. So I'm wondering, you know, what the melodies are and the, right. and, and the phrasing of the singing and things like that. So, and Tom York, I feel like is just like such a wondrous vocalist in that way. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so we're going to get into a little bit into the next song, Body Snatchers. Yep. How do you feel about this one? Uh, this song is a jammer. Yeah. A, a piece of this song that I really appreciate, that I think sometimes I really just forget about for some reason. I'm going to say that a bunch of like those interviews. I, I forget about some of these things, and mm-hmm. you go through it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, right. there's, like, pretty consistent acoustic guitar keeping percussion right. the entire time. You hear it on that bridge. Oh, that's what it that, is. Okay. Yeah, and I and I, I think that in in this period of time for this band, sometimes I forget how much they use acoustic instruments because people think of them as sort of launching into this electronic period. Right. Uh, but I feel like this to me feels like a return to like some older sounds that they were using. Yeah. Um, 
and that those things have sort of always been in there but have manifested in different ways but I really appreciate the use of the acoustic guitar mm. rhythmically sometimes don't think about people using acoustic guitar that it really can be used as a percussion right. piece oh yeah instead of you know like like plucking and kicking and um, like you know how we maybe think about folk music or something like that yeah so um do you think that you have ever had a moment where, or like had a, a an environment that you were like writing and recording in that kind of influenced the way that your a song that you wrote went? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that every recording space I that I had recorded in, I mean that 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 I have recorded in has influenced you know, the tracking in every way you can really imagine, you know, like where you where you are and where you're making the thing, even if you've written the music previously to being in that space, mm -hmm. um, it, it influences everything that you do. Uh, and I've definitely, definitely recorded in spaces that were super uncomfortable. And so I feel like when I hear the recordings back, they sound uncomfortable. Yeah. And then And then you can also hear hear the warmth you know the coziness of being in a comfortable place and it's that there's there's one way of thinking about a song in that it's on purpose it sounds uncomfortable like you intentionally wanted to sound uncomfortable but the idea of something just being uncomfortable because the space sucked like that's a whole other thing um and yeah. i think that has a lot to do with the people in the space and the way that um the vibes exist in any given studio um but yeah, I would definitely say, like for example, my my experience making my most recent record, Secret Princess, and the last album I did with the Rice Cakes, all those were made at Big Night Studio in mm -hmm. Rhode Island. Right. And I think that when I hear back on all those recordings, I hear all of the love in the room. Right. And I think that that absolutely affected the way that the music sounded. Yeah. And I don't cringe when I hear a lot of this music back, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're definitely a lot more experienced, too. I mean, you've had such a long career now, and you started fairly young. I mean, 2007 is when you said you started the Rice Cakes, and you've been playing well before then, too. Um, yeah. So getting back to uh, Big Nice Studios, and so you said that the newest album was produced by Bradford Krieger? Yep, and James Parker. And yeah. James Parker, and he he's actually has been playing with you most recently on your uh, your duet tour, right? Yep. Yeah. So he's been playing with me on and off for the last, actually, really, I think since the band started playing more actively. So, uh, I mean, it's really the project has really only existed for like two years, a little over two years, mm -hmm. um, and so he started playing with me. I think like right when the new record was announced so like in the spring of 2018 I think oh, um, okay. I'm sorry like when that first record was announced Secret Princess um, but yeah and so I, I feel like production is something that I hadn't really thought all that much about until maybe like two or three years ago because mm -hmm. I really felt like I was self-producing so many things and that's all that really needed to be done. And I think that the more I've grown as a musician and as a person and, you know, just experienced all, all sorts of different ways of making albums, I really have so much 
uh, respect and a better understanding of what the production role is. So actually, when you think about an album like In Rainbows, you know, when they were trying their hand at um, using a different producer than what they were used to, I mean, Godrich was such a, you know, such an essential part of the Radiohead experience. So it is funny to think about them saying, you know what? Screw it! Like we wanted to try something new. And it wasn't Let's working. Let's bring them back in. Let's bring them back in. He knows how to do it, you know. Yeah. And um, he got their asses back in shape. And you know, they, they had to tour in between those sessions because they almost broke up as a band hmm. because they were having such a hard time, just you know, um, coming up against a wall while they were trying to make the original in Rainbows in two thousand five. Right. So they, you know, went on the on the road and they were like you know perhaps we can kind of reinvigorate the experience which i think that they did and then they were able to get back in the studio with a producer that they knew really well that has seen that has seen the band grow and i like i'm not surprised that the record ended up being as great as it was but i also understand the interest in trying out a different person in that role yeah yeah just go go with a whole different approach really yeah, but so, uh, I'm trying to think of an idiom that's like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, that'd probably be the most common, and, and it makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, and I think that's probably what they felt. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, ju- it just seems that way because, you know, why else? Why else go back to the old producer unless you're like, he just knows how to, how to work with us, you know? I mean, I think there are a bunch of artists that feel that way. So do you feel that way about... Uh, I just forgot the name now. Uh, Robert, was it? Oh, oh. Um, Bradford and uh, and James. Yeah, I I would say I um I I definitely feel that way about them. I think that um, you know I I think to me, like the future of my music feels like super uncertain right now. Mm-hmm. Like where, like my next direction, um, is going to be, um, because I because I feel like I made something. Like this most recent album feels like a very specific thing to me, um, but I feel like they've done a really great job of making my writing the best that it could be, yeah. and so I feel very excited about um, the work that we've done, and the idea of working together again would be something that I would be stoked on. I mean, the the two recordings, the two most recent, are great. I mean, they sound great, and I mean, I think that your songwriting is beautiful. Like all the songs are really great, concise pop songs, you know. And um, so I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess I should say, like, you know, great job on on making such good music. I mean, and like all the praise that you're getting currently. I mean, you're getting a lot of press uh, for the new record being out now, and uh, well deserved, you know. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think that um, as much as 
the songs in in so many ways fit into like a very basic pop structure mm-hmm. like most of the time not all the time i feel like there's a few songs that really fit into this funny structure for me where it's sort of like a verse a pre-chorus a verse a pre-chorus and then a chorus mm-hmm. which i don't really know exactly where that came from i'd have to like look back into more writing um i'd like to think that that the like the general emotion moving through the music i don't know does something to kind of set it apart in some way um from i mean because i mean i i suppose every every pop song really at its core you know i i i'm i'm happy to to think now that pop music is understood in maybe a different way than it was before like pop music has always been valued but i feel like that there was a whole period of time when it was felt really off limits to refer to yourself as a pop artist like that felt mm. really um taboo or like lame or something right yeah um, and and you know now i feel like people are finally giving britney spears her due you know it's like god damn like she was was is an incredible entertainer she didn't write all of her music but she absolutely influenced that music you know mm. the song lucky the people that were, were writing that song were like this is a song about Britney Spears and the way that she exists in the world. Yeah. Um, and so I think that I'm I'm happy to see pop music uh, existing at least today or like in like the last few years in a different light. That there's like a newfound respect for it, hmm. at least in my view. I think that people are less scared to refer to themselves as having any kind of pop sensibility to them hmm. um, yeah i think you're right especially like in the indie scene because you're you're an ind- independent artist really you know and so i mean if you were on a major label it might be a little different because then you could be legitimately like some kind of like pop star or have the label push you towards that direction um because i mean the music warrants it but yeah as an independent you know you have the that, that whole indie credibility thing that you have to fulfill and therefore pop music you know is just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a much harder sell in that environment, I think. Right, and I mean, I mean, I think that it was. Well, yeah, it's I, moving in that direction where it's becoming yeah. a lot more accessible, for sure, even yeah. in that, that, that uh, genre, if you want to call it that, or that uh, community. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it almost feels like, I think because, and this is, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this statement tomorrow, but I think I believe it to be true. I think I just sort of have an, had an epiphany. I think that with the queerness that has erupted in the music community, with people being a lot more vocal about the way that they identify mm-hmm. either gender-wise or like sexuality-wise, I think it's opened up conversations around things like guilty pleasures that maybe don't exist in the same way anymore yeah. you know it's like seeing seeing bands like openly cover bands like blink 182 which maybe like five years ago would have been seen as like what are you doing yeah and now we're like no we grew up with that music that's hmm. foundational music that's music that you know was on trl when i was in what sixth grade or right. whatever you know like that absolutely influenced the way that i think about the music industry and the way that i think about you know pop punk or whatever yeah. You know? And uh, so so I think that to me it's really exciting to hear people talk about those artists in a way that's just as valid as, you know, thinking about bands like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles that for whatever reason were like also pop bands but were maybe like a lot more 
masculine or something mm. or I don't know like just got a lot more credit right um, and like obviously those artists came before the artists that I'm talking about now and so like right that's cool but at the same time like those artists were also you know piggybacking on black artists that were making that music way before they were making that music you know right. Absolutely. so I feel like so I feel like it's just following the way that pop music has developed over time is mm -hmm. so fascinating yeah. um, and there's like obviously a lot of problematic um, you know things that happened along the way um, but anyways long story short I just feel like maybe there's there's something in particular about this moment in time that has allowed people to feel less guilty about liking things that maybe in the past had felt cringeworthy all right yeah well um speaking of pop music and uh radiohead what do you what would, song do you like next on this because uh, i don't want to play the whole thing um i would say that my favorite song on the record is all i need number five. Oh, okay perfect let's try it ah uh, yes this one this one so reminds me of like Kid A. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I so I I think what I love so much about this song is so the bass has already come in that it starts off bassless. Hmm. And then the bass line is a lot of what leads the song in general. Like there's a period of time I think it's a second verse where like a glockenspiel comes in. Yeah. That is hitting those same bass hits and the phrasing of the bass is just so unique and really pushes the song along right and um do you think that's bass or do you think that's like uh some kind of like keys like some kind of like synthesizer or something it might be a synth bass something like that i'm not sure exactly what kind of instrument but yeah like i don't think I it's a stringed bass You know, we'd have to look at the in the basement footage. Oh yeah. All right. Because, because it actually it could be a string bass that's just put through a bunch of pedals that make could it be. sound more like a synth. Mm-hmm. You, you could be right. I'm gonna stick with the keys. I'll look it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it will, and you also have to think too that um, that the way that it was played live might not be exact to what they did in the studio too so oh yeah some, right. sometimes they'll reimagine something um but yeah so what i really love about this is that verse two i'm gonna kill it before verse two but let me know tell me sure yeah so something that i really dig about verse two is that's the period of the song where it first has its sonic zenith where everything is there's all this noise that's sort of coming in from the mm. background and then it comes to a head at the very end of that verse and then it all cuts to pretty much vocals and drums and then mm. like a little bit of bass um but all I need, you know and then it has that outro where the piano comes in yeah stronger than it has before with the chords but oh, it, right. I forget when the piano comes in originally, but the piano, the bass, and the glockenspiel are kind of all playing this, like a similar rhythm throughout 
that entire second verse. We were talking about, I asked you if you had a copy of this on vinyl, which you said no, but you had heard it. Um, so what is your, your um, relationship with vinyl now? Because it seems that you're making, uh, you have actually made efforts with the rice cakes and now currently with Nova One to kind of make sure you put vinyl out. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been putting out vinyl since, um, I think the rice cakes put out a 10 inch in 2010. That was the first vinyl I ever put out. And then I believe it was like, like a few years later, we put out a seven inch. And yeah. actually the funny story about the 10 inch is uh -huh. that so we were super new to vinyl, but vinyl was coming back in pretty hard then. It wasn't as big as it is now, though now it's all over the place with the pandemic happening and record sales are, you know, who knows what's gonna happen. Um, right. but, uh, but so at the time, we thought that a 10 inch was though I'm sorry we, we thought that the length of a 10 inch which I, I believe is like nine minutes on each side or a little bit longer than that mm -hmm. we thought that that's how long a seven inch was oh, okay we were wrong. Um, and so so when we were getting the records made I uh, we realized that we couldn't do a seven inch which was gonna be way cheaper that we because of the songs that we had recorded and the way that we wanted to put it out it was right. like two songs on one side and then a long song like an eight minute song on the second side okay. that we were gonna have to do a 10 inch so but which actually ended up being a pretty dope first release to put out a 10 inch um, yeah. in retrospect um, so I've been putting out vinyl records for about 10 years um, and I mean, I think that there really just is, I mean, I grew up listening to vinyl. My dad has a big vinyl collection. Hmm. So I definitely, uh, there's something super nostalgic about it. Um, for me, just the act of putting a record, you know, on the record player and right. putting down the needle and hearing that little crispy, Crackle. dusty sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that in general just really uh warms my soul mm. so um so i love vinyl because of that um i actually right now i have um a record player that was my grandfather's then it was my dad's and now it's mine oh wow which Jeez. is pretty cool yeah how, um, how did a record player last that many generations what kind um, of record player is it i actually i need a it's, it's actually you'd have to look at it yeah i'd have to look at it to, okay. um, to know the brand but it actually took a little while to get it working again. My dad brought it over for me, and he had to put, um, at first, like put a bunch of coins on top of the needle to make sure that it was actually like going down with the weight enough. So something got a little bit messed up oh. with the weight of how it was being um, putting down any kind of pressure right. on the record. Um, but uh, yeah, we finally got it going. Cool. So I have, so I have this old, awesome player going and then I also have some speakers that um, I just sort of um, found in the basement of my old apartment that I wasn't sure if they were going to work and they work so I have, have this kind of funny system going on um, in my living room that sounds great yeah um, so I've been trying to listen to more of my records out there um, yeah. now that I'm sort of more in my zone in my house and right you got uh, some time to kill right yeah might as well. Yeah, I got time on my hands. You know, days are kind of feeling pretty flexy, depending. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, but uh, but um, but yeah. And then and then in terms of 
from what you said before about me being a teacher, I do um, now teach remote piano lessons. That's like my primary job at the moment. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it's glad, I'm glad to know that you have something to, to fall back on in this time where you, you can't do any gigging, which, and especially now with your album coming out in a few days from now, I would imagine that you were supposed to be on tour right now. Yeah, so our, our tour was supposed to start April 30th and was going to go through most of May. Um, but I've, I've, I've been working as a part-time touring musician, part-time piano teacher for like the last 11 years. Right. So I, I never um, had, had been in a place where I was just a touring musician. It never, um, it never was going to be that for me for a few different reasons. I mean, one, I really do like teaching. Yeah. I like being home, and I like being in Providence, and I like putting on shows here, and I like being in the community. But, um, but yeah, so I've always had I've always had a second job to help sustain the touring life, and I'm really thankful to have a population of students that's very supportive of my touring life. Right, that's great. Yeah. Well, now you know that you can at least uh, you could even give the lessons on the road. <laughs> yes, at this I know. Point. Right? So that's yeah. not bad. So it's kind yeah. of working out in, in, in your favor in that way, at least. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying to find the, the positives in, in this uh, you know, pandemic era yeah. that we live in now. So that's one of them. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I, I feel like teaching is such a cool way to be able to, to connect with people musically. Um, I, and so I really appreciate I've got some awesome students. I feel really grateful for that. Cool people, cool kids. I've got some, like, just such cute, sweet kids right that's now. Great. So yeah hmm. uh, that sounds great uh so you only teach in piano too i mean like so because you're you're predominantly let now a guitar player i remember the first time i saw you actually you were playing solo uh just uh the you have like a nord electro or something like that right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, where did you see me play that do you remember it was uh at machines with magnets it was um john white put on a show there like he was doing an art installation like art gallery like for I don't want to say it was uh, it was an autism benefit of some sort. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you just were playing alone that day, and you were just on the piano, and so I was there with my oldest son, and we actually sat and watched you for a little bit. Oh, that's right. I played a few of those. Oh, John White. Uh, John White. Um, yeah, I I feel like I'm trying to remember what year that was, but yeah, I did a few gigs where I was playing just keyboard. Yeah. Um, and. Um, yeah, Machines and Magnets, oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, I, gosh, I'm just trying to put the timeline together. Yeah, you can't remember it, that's alright, I mean, it was a while ago. Well, 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 I was thinking that I, that I played a John White Benefit that was actually at the old, um, gosh, I forget, was, if it was the Black Rep then, but, like, where Aurora was, do you know what I'm talking about? This is many, many, many years ago, because that was one of those benefits that I played with the band. And you're not talking about that no, one, right? No, okay. it was specifically just you by yourself. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but so um, now you moved over to guitar. I mean, now Nova One is, like, you're you're only playing guitar for your performances, and I imagine, well, you imagine you did piano for the recording, but um, it's like guitar predominant, right? Yeah, so um, I would say that's predominantly what I'm playing for sure, although on, on this album I played um, piano and electric piano a few times, mm-hmm. um, I, and, or like Rhodes, you know, um, so I'm, I'm dabbling back with keys and actually in general there is, um, 
a Privia sound that is pretty prevalent on most of the tracks that you can hear as sort of like a backing effect mm-hmm. on things like Violet Dreams and um, I'm trying to think of where else that's that sound is pretty prevalent. But I, yeah, so I'm dabbling more in keys on this release. There's more keys on this than there was on Secret Princess, which only had a little bit of Rhodes. Yeah. It was very much used as... Um, a background sound um, so yeah I mean I think it's because so I I started playing guitar when I was like in fifth or sixth grade so I was learning guitar right along piano for a long time but I was using it in a different way than I had originally been using piano because piano I learned from a very theoretical perspective mm-hmm. um, and then whereas guitar I think about more as shapes mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to dab a little, a little bit more in both. I think for a long time I, I played so much keyboard that I really needed to take a break from it. And then mm. now I feel like I play a lot of guitar, and I, and also I need, I need to find some kind of medium. Yeah. Uh, and then I also started learning drums a few years ago, so that's been fun. And I learned how to play some bass in like my early 20s, so bass is fun. So, yeah. on the, on the new album I play. I play a lot of different things, and also Brad and James, the producers, they also played a lot of things. Actually, Casey um, from the Rice Cakes, he played uh, drums on a few songs too. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. so so there's no um, no hardship between the band. I mean, like I don't I'd like. For, let me just say this about the Rice Cakes was that I don't know why did the name change so frequently, and like it seemed like it was changing like <laughs> intermittently between years. Like if you look it up, if like if you look up your discography on iTunes, it's just like you have like four different band profiles, and like all the records are scattered throughout all of those profiles. It's like you can't just like listen to you know top to bottom, <laughs> and they're all different years. Like, all right, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not a criticism. I was just like, I, no, it, no, no, no. I'm 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 just I'm just joking. It's just I'm so painfully aware of all. Yeah. This. <laughs> um. No, it's absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's a band. It's a it's 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 a band growing and changing, and we literally signified that in every time you've changed the name yeah. of the band. Um, yeah, it was Roz Raskin and the Rice Cakes. Well, it was Roz Raskin, then Roz Raskin and Rice and the Rice Cakes, then the Rice Cakes, then Roz and the Rice Cakes. Right. Oh, okay. That was the order. Yeah. So uh. so the original name because I was performing as just Roz Raskin. The yeah. Band, the, on and then we took off the Roz Raskin and then we added the Roz back in. <laughs> um, and so, um, but in terms of the relationship between the people and the band, um, I love those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. me, Kate, and Justin are still very much on good terms. And Casey has been actively playing with Nova One, you know, like for like the last year and a half or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then Justin is a dear friend, and um, he was, I mean, now it's on hiatus, but he was doing a lot of the booking at the News Cafe in Pawtucket. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, cool. and, he's, and he's worked there for a long time. Um, yeah, those guys are awesome. It was really, um, for me, it felt like creatively I was starting to feel stuck, and I wasn't really sure where to bring the project next, and... Um, and I feel like I needed to give it a rest in terms of wanting to make sure that I was able to save the friendships that we had. Right. 
that we didn't find ourselves in territory that was not honoring where everybody was at creatively. Yeah. Well, that's nice. It's, I'm glad to, to hear that you could, uh, that everyone's still getting along and it's not like any kind of like animosity because it always sucks when, you know, those bridges get burned when you're in a band. Cause it's like, those are like family members, like the time that you're in a band, you know? So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I, well, and I've, and I've been in a bad band breakup before. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that that didn't happen. So I think that just being like a more mature human, I, was already feeling um, like things needed to change before things got to a place where they were feeling super tough. Yeah. Uh, so it just felt like it made the most sense to put a break on the project. And who knows, maybe we'll, once we can all get back to band practices again, perhaps we'll play together again. We've talked about it a few yeah. times the past couple of years. So it's possible. That's cool. Um, you never say never. So, right. uh, and they're two of the best musicians I've ever played with in my life. Yeah. You know, that's great. Um, and Justin has a new solo project that you can actually hear online. And, um, and Casey, um, Casey's, you know, played with all sorts of folks, but he's actively playing with a band called Burr right now. Um, and I haven't heard of it. Burr? Burr, yeah, B U R R, and they're great. Cool. So, yes, yeah, so everyone's still out there doing their thing. And, um, yeah, and I feel very lucky that Casey and I can still um, share space musically, and he really honors the songs. Yeah. Uh, and plays um, plays to them very well. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, I'd like to start a, another song. Uh, we're gonna go go ahead and jump up to uh, House of Cards. Why not? Okay, sure. Because. Uh... I don't know if this was one of their singles or not, but it definitely is one of their most popular songs off this record. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like, to me, I was actually just saying that this song, to me, is beautiful, and there's something that I really love about it, but it's it's not a standout for me. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, my top... I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things, like, the album, I feel like every song is pretty dope. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the top tunes for me feel like All I Need, Videotape, Body Snatchers, Jigsaw Falling Into Place. Mm -hmm. I'd say that those are my top tunes. Yeah. And I don't know if that's maybe because 15 Step got so overplayed in my world. Oh, did it? Okay. <laughs> so that song's great, you know? Um, yeah. But I feel like the songs that um, like really just hit really hard for me were videotape and all I need those songs in particular mm. um, yeah they are definitely uh, uh, motherfuckers when it comes to the ballad you know like uh, I know that I follow you on uh, Instagram and yeah I, I love a sad song I mean that's that's my happy place uh, I actually have a, a book from Charles Schultz with the Peanuts characters on it and it's actually called uh, Happiness is a Sad Song and that's <laughs> That's my, my book. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never let my children touch it. I was just like, no, this is my book. This is for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually, I recently um, started reading The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Oh, yeah. And and I was talking to a friend of mine about it. Um, and she was like, oh, that makes sense. She's like, I feel like that must be similar to, I mean, because it's a, it's a book about a person who is slowly losing their mind, you know? Hmm. Um, 
And so, like, of course, I'm reading that in this period of time. Um, so it's sort of like, ooh, is that a good call or a bad oh, call? I don't know. A little, little um, too on the nose. Right. But um, she, you know, I'm going to misquote her, but she said something along the lines of it's sort of similar to the effect of being sad and listening to a sad song and, and like, the comfort that you get hmm. in, in, like, a similar... Um, feeling experience yeah so i actually feel a lot of comfort in reading the bell jar in the same way that i feel a lot of comfort in listening to songs that make me feel really deep right uh, i agree with you i mean like seriously every every sad song on any every like landmark album like that's my favorite song you know, it's just like, and it can be cheesy to a degree. Like if I if I were to say like to name all of them, I'd be like, okay, well you got you know, Imagine by John Lennon, killer every time. Um, then uh, off of the zombies, obviously an Oracle. It's uh, uh, shit. What's the name of that song? It's just like that. Fuck, I can't remember the name of it now. But it, it's the sad one. It's always the the ballady song that is that touches me the most. You know, and like yeah, I I think I. I um, kind of awkwardly like enjoy like a good cry every now and then as long as it's like on my terms as long as like like the kids aren't around like if it's just like oh i'm getting i'm gonna have alone time and i'm gonna listen to a song that's gonna you know make me weep and that's good and then i'll feel better yeah. afterwards yeah. yeah have you have you cried in front of your kids uh yes yeah i have um yeah because value to that too right i would hope so i mean like because yeah. i don't know i mean i never remember my my parents crying so you know, I, I know, like, I, I don't really play into the whole masculinity thing. Like, I don't feel like I have to be this masculine man for my children to, to mirror. Um, I tell them all the time, it's just like, it's okay to, like, cry. Because I know that, like, the youngest in particular has a kind of a chip on his shoulder. So he, he doesn't want to show feeling. So if he's going to be upset and, like, you know, get teary, he's going to want to hide. And I'm just like, it's okay, man. Like... Like just, it's okay to cry. Like it feels good, and it's like it's like you need to get it out, you know, and that's that's fine. So, yeah. Um, he did confess to me once though, but, but it was really cheesy because we were actually watching Avengers: Infinity War, or uh, the 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 newest one, the latest one, the not Infinity War. I forget what it's called now, but yeah, the the big one. So, you know, because uh, it gets really sad because spoiler alert: Iron Man dies in it. For anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, you didn't watch it. <laughs> I, I, I haven't caught up with those movies, but don't worry about it. I yeah. love a good spoiler. So well, you're you're an adult. You know that Robert Downey has walked away from from the the uh, the, the company. <laughs> Therefore, you know it's got to end poorly, right? So yeah, like in the movie, I went into it knowing that both uh, Chris Evans, you know, Captain America, and Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, were leaving the franchise. So it's just like, okay, well, one or both of them are dying. Like you know, it has to happen. You know. So I kind of went into it knowing I was just like this is gonna be a motherfucker for us and like it was just me and my youngest, and uh, by the end of the movie he was just like dad, um, I, I, I cried at the end of the movie. I was just like yeah I know me too. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's a little cheesy because it's you know Marvel movies, but it's it's you no, know they're gosh, very you're... they're very emotional. Yeah, and that's I don't know. these things well, always yeah. hit nerves. Absolutely. Well, and I would and I would venture to say that blockbuster movies are sometimes the best at making you cry because they literally know how to do that in such oh, yeah. a form-like way. They know the right chords to play. You know, so much has to do with music. Right. 
Oh yeah, right? it's true. That, that actually, that, that they know exactly the chord progression that's gonna get you crying mm. with your kid. <laughs> yeah, can I watch less movies with them now? Because everything does it. That's the thing. That's the thing they don't tell you when you become a parent. Is it's like, yeah, you're just gonna become a weepy mess all the time. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, there's something special about that. That's cool. So, uh, oh yeah, and that reminded me. Um, I wanted to ask you actually about your family because uh, you had mentioned yeah. your dad earlier. Um, so you, your parents are from Rhode Island. So my parents are actually from um, the Maryland. DC area mm -hmm. um, and then they so my parents moved to Rhode Island um, gosh I guess it must have been like the early 80s like late 70s early 80s because my dad went to a residency program at Brown he's an ER doctor oh, cool. um, and so then they stayed um, here and then my um, and my mom um, is is a therapist and I, uh, yeah, so they were both very encouraging of me musically growing up. I think it was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow that I was going to like stay in Providence and pursue music here at first. Um, oh, yeah. But then, you know, I, but um, I feel like now my dad lives vicariously through me mm -hmm. in a ways he's super psyched on all the music stuff and he's in um he's in a few bands now too he's in a motown band and another cover band and he also uh voluntarily um directs the classical high school jazz band i went to classical high school oh, so cool. he's he's been voluntarily directing that band for like over 15 years or something like that nice that's great. And uh, your, your grandmother has become a, a big influence on you, too, now, because you've incorporated her into your, your album artwork. And you didn't yeah. know her. Right. So what was that like for you, like, finding those photos and deciding to, to use them for the artwork? You know, I, I think that, um, I mean, I suppose we all, anybody that has access to older photos, if that's, like, a possibility for you, mm -hmm. there's, something, there's something so fascinating about these worlds that you know, are sort of have, have affected your life in some way. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's certain photos that have struck me for, you know, any particular reason over the years. And the photo um, that was used for Secret Princess, I found that photo maybe, I don't know, seven years ago or something like that and knew that I wanted to use it for something at some point, that it was speaking to something. And then when I finally figured out that I was going to be putting out those Nova One songs, which I like originally, Nova One didn't really exist as like a real idea of a band. It was just like, oh, I have this chunk of songs. And then I ended up sending it to Community Records. Um, Greg, who is um, one of the um, co-owners of the label, um, he and he and I were talking about me starting a label because I was very interested in starting a label like three years ago, something small, putting out like little tape releases here and there. Mm -hmm. And so he and I got on the phone, and he was like, "You know, hey, I'd love to talk to you about running a label. I think you'd be good at it." And then in that conversation, I was like, "Hey, I have the side project. Here oh, yeah. are these songs. Would you be interested in checking it out?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And so then the next day he was like, yo, can we put this out? Let's put this out. And yeah. I was like, what? That would be cool. Yeah, sure. That'd be, that would be awesome. I would huh. love that. And then, and then so around that time I was 
thinking about what the album artwork would be and what it would look like and that was the image that I kept coming back to yeah oh, so that's great. yeah there's something so mysterious about that photo yeah how so to you I mean I mean for, I from, think... a, from an outsider's perspective it's mysterious because it's like you can kind of tell it's a vintage photo but you know who knows it's just like oh like who's this model you found to like take this photo of you that like have this like vintage looking vibe you know like but it turns yeah. out it's actually an old photo and it's an old family photo it's your grandmother yeah um and it's probably it it looks like it's probably her in her 20s so it must have been taken at some point in the 40s yeah um i just think it's really interesting because she's wearing so she's wearing this outfit where like she has this sort of like brooch vibe that's matching her skirt and you know it looks like she's high or something <laughs> You think that she's, that she's on some sort of psychedelics or something like that, or she's oh yeah okay acting like she's I don't know really feeling something or that mm. she's taken by the day, um, and I actually somebody bought my record in Galveston, Texas and said to me, oh yeah, there it is. Um, and she said to me, she said, this really feels like a very feminist cover to me. This looks like hmm. somebody who is just so exhausted with the norm. Um, somebody who is just wanting so badly to break out of what is considered to be like woman, you know? Yeah. At that period of time, and I really vibed on that sentiment. Wow, wow, that makes a that really puts a good perspective on that now because uh, even the the subtitle on that EP, um, would you consider that a subtitle? What you have on the spine of that that record? Oh, I your dedication. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't. Um, I suppose you could think of it that way. Sure. Yeah, because yeah, it's on cool. the spine. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think from an outsider's perspective just looking at it being like oh like okay what does this mean and i mean it seems like a it's definitely something that you want to say and it kind of feels almost title-esque i'm sorry hold on right. a second no worries i just yeah, uh, could you could you read it out i'm almost forgetting what it says oh yeah uh dedicated to those who seek warmth and acceptance yeah right so that kind of fits in with just what you were explaining and describing so yeah no so worries. um that signal means that we are just about out of time. Okay, yeah, So uh, yeah. we'll just wrap this up a little bit. I'll just like ask you uh, maybe a couple okay. more questions. Uh, the one quick one that I, w I was actually been thinking about for months now is just like, do you have any relation to Joyce Raskin? You know, I actually don't, but okay. we've met. You've met? We, yeah, we've met. We met at the parlor probably, I don't know, four or five years ago or something, and we talked about how there's probably a good chance that we could be related. <laughs> but you haven't uh, found any, any connection yet? No, no, but I mean, there's not that many Raskins that I know of. I mean, there might be more in other states, but um, then you know, I'm. It's not like a super common name in my world. Um, it's not in anyone's world, I don't think. I mean, yeah, I find it pretty yeah. pretty unique. Totally, and we and we're both, you know, of you know Jewish backgrounds, and um, um, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the connection is, but we have met, and Joyce is awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'm gonna uh, go ahead and play a little bit of videotape now, just to, to close this out. Um, when you were when we were talking earlier, which I don't know if I'll be able to save or not, but uh, you were we mentioned how this record first came out as a pay what you can, and it was like the first of its kind. 
Um, you were mentioning how you feel like they kind of ended up putting the the music industry in kind of like this uh, this whirlwind, like this kind of like uh, it kind of really set them apart into a different category, right? Of um, you know, like what they were the biggest band at the, in the world at the time, but like they changed the music because Napster was still a thing or it was like very prevalent at that time and people were just like stealing music like rampantly which I guess people are still doing but uh, how do you feel about uh, music streaming in general at this point? You know I feel like music I mean I I, I heard a few questions in that question. I'm sorry I, I, I rambled. No. Oh my gosh no no it's okay I just <laughs> wanted to be excited because I, I, I think it's a great question with like a lot of layers um i think that you know so i was i was taking a look at some um some quotes around this release earlier Mm. tonight i was taking a look at like what some other musicians had to say at the time when it was happening because i because i feel like to one you know to one extent it's cool to be offering music in a way that it feels very accessible to a lot of different people like for example folks that you know can't typically afford a record could just download this record for free if they wanted to and then people that have the means can and pay full price or even more if they want to right they could pay a thousand dollars for the record if they Mm -hmm. want to right Um, and so i feel like that kind of sliding scale sort of sentiment is something that I really love. Like, for example, with some of the shows that I put on, I do sliding scale because I want for folks that have the means to be able to pay or pay more and then folks that don't have the means to be able to come to right. be able to have access. But I feel like it's also it's also more complicated than that because like a band like Radiohead, like, yes, they didn't have to have a label to put out this record and they had... They had been with EMI and they broke that contract and they, you know, and they were, and they had a huge dispute with their label around this whole period of time that they were putting out music in this way. Um, But they had, they had the privilege in the years and years of like a really massive career that they could put out a record and still sustain themselves. Right. So there's a lot of privilege that goes along with something like that. And then I think there's a lot of backlash from other artists saying like, Yes, in some ways, this is a really cool move because, like, the music industry is so fucked in so many ways. Right. But at the same time, what you're saying is, is like, are you somehow coming across as more generous or something? Right. And and then at the same time, like, devaluing me putting out a record for eighteen dollars. Right. Right. Because like, it's I like mean, not every band was the biggest band in the world. Not everyone had the privilege of like just giving away their music and right. hoping that everyone was going to do the right thing and give them some money for it. You know. Right. And right, plus, and they I, owned all the rights too. So when when this was when this record came out as "Pay What You Can," they weren't on a label technically, so it was completely self-released. So they kept all the money, I would assume, and didn't have to worry about paying anything back to the label. Right. Exactly. So. They were and they were sort of like you know like screw the screw the model of label, and it's like well yeah, but you also build your career off of being on labels, right? Like you also right. you know you gained recognition through press and through publicists and through um, booking agents and all these people that are like a massive distribution, sure. Yeah, Yeah. massive distribution, right? So like, I guess what I'm saying is I think it was a really incredible move, but I feel like there's also like layers to understanding why that move 
is not accessible for the majority of bands. Right. And so, and that, you know, to, um, to allow music to be seen as, um, I don't know, the value of music. God, what a complicated question, you know? And like, what what is value? And right. what do people consider, you know? Like, for example, I've been doing these streaming shows and, and I've been saying to people, like, suggest a donation of five to $20. And we've been giving away half of the funds that we make from any given show to like a nonprofit and then half of the funds sustain the band itself. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, some people pay $5 and I had somebody pay $80 the right. other day yeah. because they can, you know? And so I think um, it's a really complicated question that I don't mm-hmm. like really have an answer for. And I right. think it's, um, I'm forgetting what your original question was. Well, I was just, was. Uh, I, I wanted to get your, uh, your feel on, on streaming music in general, because with that being said, um, look, coming to today, you know, moving forward 13 years from the release of this, and the first time that was happening on a, on a, on a large scale, um, you know, now with something like Bandcamp, and you have all of these bands, all indie bands, bands that are signed, bands that have labels or not, whatever, Anything they want to put out, they put it on Bandcamp, and a lot of the there's a good portion of like free music available now through that to download, and then also the whole streaming platforms thing where you know you have Spotify and you know Apple Music and stuff like that where you can listen to full length records but you don't necessarily have to purchase it. You right. Um, so there's an, again another kind of two for question here was uh, like how you feel about it in general because as an artist. You know, how does that affect your your income? Like the whole streaming thing, I know is like people say, like you know, you get fractions of cents per listen, and then the accessibility of like actually paying for a record, downloading it, and having instant access to it. Right. I mean, I think that um, that streaming, you know, yeah, it it feeds right exactly into everything that we we're saying about how controversial music consumption is right now because there's something really incredible about the accessibility that people have towards you know getting you know you can have spotify for free right you can like Mm -hmm. have it with ads or whatever or pandora or whatever you're listening to um or apple music and then you can pay for this you know like more advanced adless version of that thing and artists really are getting so little of those sales like that is absolutely a real thing and Bandcamp is a better way to actually get money to musicians I mean and the best way is to buy the merch directly from them from the road and I think that's the most challenging thing right now right that we can't tour so we can't we we don't have access to that Um, yeah I mean I think that the whole system in the same way that uh, I mean, the whole system has failed and has been a failure for a long time. I think it's been set, it's always been set up to really, really benefit people that already had benefits, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think that in the same way that, like, our government has failed, you know, there's so many other systems built around a similar idea. Like, you think about, for example, like, any period of time where there have been pop musicians before the internet or rock bands before the internet like the amount of bands that actually existed mm-hmm. at any given time there were tons of them but a lot of them didn't didn't have access to a label or getting heard by the right people and so much of it is um who you know and connections and being in the right place at the right time and um so i think that uh, 
yeah, I think it's, it's some wild stuff, James. You know, there's it's the like wild no, west out there making music. It really is. I mean, like you think about, you know, I already talked about Britney Spears, but like the amount of other other pop stars that existed at that time. You can think about like other pop stars that existed in, in that in that period, but then also the amount of people that didn't have access to like putting up their single on Bandcamp or on Spotify. Like now, there's so many different pop stars, for example, because it's way more accessible to get an audience to like have. Right a platform to speak from. So I think that um, thankfully, at least in my experience of like the past few years, touring has been the fruitful thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, you know, I have years of experience and access and like the privilege of that to be able to, for example, start a band like Nova One and then be able to like tour pretty well off, off the um, start of the project that yeah. maybe wouldn't have existed had I started the band, you know, all those years ago that I've been able to sort of build on a following. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, but I feel like, yeah, streaming um, streaming music, I think, is, um, yeah, for all the reasons that I said, is still very much a controversial thing, that it's cool that people can hear the music, but it's also um, such a bummer that artists aren't paid enough. Right. Yeah. Well, I hope I didn't bring you down too far with that, that last question. Uh, I don't really have anything else for you. <laughs> no, no worries. Hey, hey, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, they're thoughtful questions. So I appreciate yeah. it. Well, I mean, like, you know, I, I'm just kind of interested in the music business in general, you know, and like kind of feeling, feeling out people's ideas and, and you know, uh, opinions on, on especially something like that, especially vinyl and then the whole streaming thing, because they're just two different worlds, really. And, um, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I like them both for different reasons. And, yep. uh, you know, but it's always kind of nice to hear it from an artist's perspective because I haven't, I don't put any music out, so I don't have to really think about it. You know, if people... You, you consume it. I do. I do consume it. And, and, you know, I bit the bullet and I bought an Apple Music subscription just because I was sick of the ads. I was sick of not being able to, like, find a full-length record and just hearing things on shuffle and stuff like that. I was just like, no, I want, I want to hear records and I want to hear, like, the whole thing at least. Right. So... You know, I mean, whatever. It's a few, few bucks a month. I mean, I hope it helps you. I hope you see something from iTunes, <laughs> from subscriptions <laughs> yeah. that are purchased. You know. We'll see at the end of the year, James. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. You let me know come tax time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Roz, I just wanted to say thank you again for for coming and doing this, and um, yeah. Um, you're just a, such a nice and thoughtful person, and I just really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you reaching out and, uh, yeah, allowing, yeah, artists to speak in this type of platform. It's fun. I appreciate that. Thanks, Roz. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right.
Vinyl and Vision is a psychic static production. Theme song by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut. <laughs>